The following is a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society. Is God's grace ever deserved? Of course, it is defined as unmerited. But are there some biblical instances when it seems like grace is given by meriting it? Welcome to the podcast and radio broadcast ministry of the Grace Evangelical Society. This is Grace in Focus. You can find out more about the Grace Evangelical Society, our online seminary, our 48-page bi-monthly magazine, and other aspects of our ministry at faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. Now with today's discussion, here are Bob Wilkin and Dave Renfro. David, I believe you have a question from Noah. He says, and this is interesting about grace, he says there are at least two passages in which grace is spoken of as a reward for humility. And he uses James 4, 6, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisted the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Right. And then he uses 1 Peter 5, 5, likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And then his last question is, how is this to be understood in light of Romans eleven six and the common understanding of grace as unmerited favor? Okay, and what does Romans eleven six say? Uh, Romans eleven six says, and if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Okay, now, what we need to understand is the Greek word grace, chorus, and what's the Hebrew word for grace? Chain. Chain? Yeah, you have to almost sound like you're coughing. Coughing. Chain. Of course, now, now that's Hebrew with a Texas accent. Yeah, There's right. nothing worse. But that's not loyal love, right? That's chesed. No, that's chesed. I have a chapter in my book, The Ten Most Misunderstood Words in the Bible, mm-hmm. and I have a chapter on grace. And I look at the New Testament references to chorus. And I point out that there's about 10 different meanings. Mm -hmm. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the word is used about five different ways. Sometimes it refers to thanks. Sometimes it refers to gift. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it refers to favor. And you've got to look at the context to see what it's talking about. But often in Scripture, I argue in, in that chapter of the book that the primary number one meaning is favor. God's favor. And I point out that his favor is sometimes unmerited and sometimes it's merited. Mm -hmm. Now, I think what Noah's asking is, is grace ever a reward? Mm -hmm. Or we might say, is grace ever deserved? Right. My argument would be, when you think of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, as anyone should boast— That grace is unmerited if by the grace we mean the incarnation of Christ, the death of Christ on our behalf. We had nothing to do with Christ being born or living a perfect life or dying on the cross for our sins. Those things are all unmerited. It's even unmerited to say that God has given us his word. He didn't have to give us the Bible. He did. He did. And you would even say it's unmerited to say God is sending out preachers. Remember in Romans 10, how shall they hear without a preacher? Sure. 
and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So in a sense, we would say that even that's unmerited. But yet there's another sense in which sometimes even the grace in salvation can be, at least in a very limited sense, merited. For example, think of Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. Well, here's this God-fearing Gentile who worships in the synagogue, and he is praying, and an angel tells him to send for Simon Peter, who's going to tell him words by which he must be saved, mm-hmm. Acts eleven fourteen. 14. Mm-hmm. We're told by Luke that he was a man whose prayers and alms ascended to God. So here's a Gentile who the reason he gets a specific preacher— the Apostle Peter, is because of his prayers and alms. Right. And so in terms of salvation, at least the broad strokes of it is totally unmerited. But there can be a sense of because we have responded to God's drawing, he may send us someone who brings the saving message. Now, that wouldn't mean we merited everlasting life. Right. But what it would mean is God in his good favor chose to send someone to bring the message. Right. Lydia in Acts sixteen fourteen, God opened her heart that she might heed the things spoken by Paul and Silas. Mm-hmm. Well, that's God's grace opening her heart right. so that she would believe. But she was at the place of prayer. Lydia is an example of a God-fearing Gentile who comes to faith, at least in part because she was seeking God. In terms of the two verses that he uses, James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5, Correct. those verses, I remember Hodges made much of those when we came to that in James, and he basically said, you see this theme all through Scripture, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Mm-hmm. He gives favor to the humble. He rewards the humble. So I would agree with Noah that this grace can be a reward. Mm -hmm. And it's a mistake to think that God never rewards believers because of things they've done. I heard a pastor one time say, any good things that happen in our lives are always purely a result of unmerited favor. We never do anything to in any way incite God to bless us. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not what James 4, 6 says. Or First Peter five five, Romans eleven six is talking about people being born again, and that that's not a matter of something we work for or earn, but that's different than saying there's no sense anywhere in the scriptures where God's chorus, His grace, is not favor poured out on those who are pleasing God. Just jumping in here to make you aware of our magazine, Grace in Focus. It is a bi-monthly, six issues per year, 48-page magazine, full color. And we want you to subscribe by emailing your name and your snail mail address to ges at faithalone.org. The subscription is free. It can be accessed electronically or it can be actually physically sent to you if you live in the lower 48 United States. That's our Grace and Focus magazine. Send your name and snail mail address to ges at faithalone.org. Who's the next question from? The next question is from Chris, and he says, The Word of God says the only condition for receiving eternal life that can never be lost is belief in Jesus. And he quotes John 3.16. 
However, can you please explain Acts eleven eighteen? This verse seems to be saying repentance is a precursor for life. Is that eternal life? Okay, very good question. Go ahead and turn in your Bible to Acts eleven eighteen, And there are about two or three different ways I think we can understand this. And I've written on this. Zane Hodges has written on this as well. Could you read that verse, Dave? Yeah, it says, When they heard these things, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Yeah, and Peter had just explained that these Gentiles had now come to faith and been born again, so he had to baptize them. He couldn't withhold the waters of baptism because they were clearly in the same family of God. And that was radical to them, wasn't it? It Because the Jews were the chosen people. And they thought the church was made up exclusively of Jews. Correct. Now, if they were familiar with Acts chapter 8, and we're not sure if these were, but probably, Mm -hmm. Peter would have probably told them, because Peter was the one, along with John, who went down and laid hands on Samaritans, they would probably at this point recognize, okay, the church includes Samaritans, but Samaritans were kind of half Jewish, half Gentile. Now we're talking about straight up Gentiles. Mm -hmm. What you have is a couple of different options in verse 18. One option is that these guys are wrong. One option is they're saying God has granted the Gentiles repentance that is necessary in order to have everlasting life. And it's clear the life he's talking about here, I think, is everlasting life, although that's another question. That's another interpretive option. Another way of looking at it is they're correct, but what they're saying is this is repentance that leads to fullness of physical life. So they're not talking about everlasting life, but fullness Mm -hmm. of physical life. I think that's the view that Zane Hodges took. Another view you could take is that God has granted Gentiles repentance that can lead to everlasting life. In other words, it's not a requirement, but say, for example, a person is an alcoholic and drunk all the time and never goes to church. Well, if they dry up and stop drinking and start going to church, now they're in a position to hear the saving message and come to faith. Mm -hmm. Even though it wasn't a requirement, the Mm -hmm. repentance can lead to life. So that's another view. I think most likely what they're saying is he granted them repentance that can lead to life. That last view And part of the reason is we're not told that Cornelius repented, that he was a man who had repented. But he's certainly a man of prayer and alms. And this may suggest to some that he was a person who earlier in his life repented. Not that it's a condition. Mm -hmm. It's just something he did. I would think that if eternal life was in view here, he would have used the phrase eternal life. I wrote a blog recently about places in the Gospel of John where you have the word life unmodified, where it doesn't say everlasting life or eternal life, but Mm -hmm. it's just life. And I found about 20 examples where it refers to everlasting life, and we know it because of the context. Now, the problem we have here, it's not crystal clear whether they're talking about everlasting life or physical life, because Peter doesn't use the word life in verses 16 and 17. Mm -hmm. He does talk about salvation up in verse 14. But it's just not real clear here. So I don't have a problem with what you're saying. It might incline toward the view that this is physical life. Well, there's other places in the book of Acts 
where the writer does use the phrase eternal life. That's right, he does. So ultimately, I like this question, and you might go at faithalone.org. We have an article or two on Acts 11, and I have a book called Turn and Live, The Power of Repentance, and I discuss this in that book as well. So Chris, I would say the main thing I would remember is this. Scripture doesn't contradict Scripture. Chris started out with John 3.16. Stand on that. I agree. The only condition is faith. The Gospel of John doesn't mention repentance even once. Mm-mm. So whatever Acts 11.18 means, it doesn't contradict John 3.16. Amen. And that helps us keep grace in, in focus. focus. We would love to know where you are when you are listening to us. Please take a short minute to send us the call letters of this station and the city where you are listening and how many times a week you listen. Thank you. You will be helping us with our stewardship. Send it to radio at faithalone.org. That's radio at faithalone.org. We are so thankful for our financial partners who keep us on the air. Every gift is tax deductible and very much appreciated. If you'd like to find out how you can give, go to faithalone.org. On our website, we have a church tracker. It's an easy-to-use map that will help you locate those other Free Grace churches that might be in your area. So come visit us at the website and take advantage of our free church tracker. It's at faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. On the next episode, Is Atonement Limited or Unlimited? And what's the best New Testament lexicon? Join us next time, and until then, let's keep grace in focus. The proceeding has been a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society.